What's really interesting is that in book one, you're talking about concentration and you're getting a little bit of a roadmap. In book two, you're talking about the idea of how badly do you want it and here's the practice and you learn about the eight limbs and it really dives deep into yamas and niyamas. In book three that we just read, the Vibhutipada, it's talking about your extraordinary powers or those supernormal powers. The Sayama, right? It's where you delete and reset your mind so that you are the best version of yourself. Vibhuti, the word itself, means sacred ash, and it's what remains after the fires of transformation have burned. So you work really hard through the lessons that you learn through chapter two about how to kind of like get your shit together, right? You learn kind of how to transform. And then once that stuff burns off because you've been practicing, then you learn all about the uh, miraculous results you get when you practice the, you go from the gross to the subtle practice of dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. United, these things are called the sayama. And the supernatural powers come with diligent practice. And in turn, when we practice diligently, we begin to be called siddhas or superpowers. We gain superpowers, we become superheroes, we become intuitive. Do you ever like know someone is calling before you pick up the phone? Or just have this like, some people have like motherly instinct where they just know something's going on with their child and we just call it like mother's instinct. But it's like a sixth sense or a heightened awareness that comes from really, really practicing the discipline of yoga. And what does yoga mean again? To unify wholeness, harmony, um, where you really feel completely integrated. And so you can get these superpowers when uh, um, you start going deeper into the internal practice. These extraordinary powers come from Yoga Sutra 3.1, Dharana, Concentration occurs when you focus your mind on one thing. So does anybody practice candle gazing? Yep. That's a great way to start to learn or have focused breath awareness where you take your practice internal. And it gives you, the candle gives you a focus so that you don't lose the mind into thought. If you look into a candle, it keeps you very engaged. It's like a moth to a flame. There's a word in Sanskrit called Leila, L-E-I-L-A. It's a very playful in nature, but we're like a moth to a flame. We just keep looking at it. And then in turn, when you practice something like candle gazing, you lose that thing like, oh, I have to make dinner. Oh, I have to do something. Oh, I forgot to do this. Or, oh, this something or, like, emerges from my subconscious and I start thinking about it. When you do something like candle gazing, it gives you that focused breath awareness where you can literally keep focusing on one thing. 3.2 dhyana or meditation is the continuous flow of attentive awareness. It's like a stream of oil that pours out. It has to be continuous. So the different stages of mindful awareness are a little bit more challenging because when you're practicing the gross practice, it's yamas and niyamas and asana and pranayama. 
But then all of a sudden you really have to put your tush to the cush and be completely focused. And that's conditioned. That comes from discipline. Once the fires of transformation have burned and you are able to really dive into the internal practice, all of a sudden you're going to find extraordinary powers and intuitive awareness in the sixth sense really does start to arise, but it takes a lot of hard work. And that's what this chapter is all about. Sure, we can get the extraordinary powers, but chapter two, just like it told you, how badly do you want it? And if you really want it and you do the hard work, then in chapter three, you can start really going deep into um, awareness and heightened states of awareness but it comes from mindfulness practices. Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. So Yoga Sutra 3.3 talks about Samadhi, which is cognitive absorption, where the object of meditation involves the meditator and shines forth such that the subject and the object become one. So Sayama, these three things united, are the key to yoga superpowers. A lot of times... People will come to the mat and they'll practice yoga, but they don't always want to do the hard work of taking it deeper into the mindfulness practices where you put your tush to the kush. Um, do you remember um, Peter Parker? Sometimes people call him Spider-Man, <laughs> right? But his uncle always said that with great power comes great responsibility because if Sayama in three point Three, four is a simultaneous practice of um, dharana, dhyana, and samadhi. This magic key unlocks the siddhas or your superpowers. So if you dive deeply into any subject matter, it will reveal its secrets to you. But as Peter Parker's uncle said, with great power comes great responsibility because Patanjali warns you, these things are really nifty and cool, but they're major obstacles to attaining samadhi because people can get caught up in this like, ooh, I have magic powers. Ooh, I can do really cool things. And you can kind of go um, get caught up or snared in your ego. And then in turn, you could end up at square one and have to go all the way back to the beginning of the yamas and niyamas because you've gone down the dark path. When you get these sayamas, the siddhas that you can get that are discussed in the chapter three, our um, knowledge of future and previous events, um, ability to read minds, invisibility, uh, great strength. You have super senses. You can levitate like a piece of cotton, it said, right? You can get cotton. Um, the ability to walk through walls, the ability to get very small or very large, heavy or light. Um, for those of you who are interested, Ananda Judith has this great book about chakras, but Magicians in Vegas, which I know this to be a fact, um, they literally study yoga and the chakras to learn about these superpowers. Magicians do a lot of practice with yoga because it helps them to get these superpowers and this heightened awareness. When we get to this space of finding focus, being able to be the witness, where we become more effortless in our life 
and we have that inner light. Yoga, uh, yogis call this a sattvic state of being, where you have that middle path, the most harmonious state of being. So when you practice the sayamas, and they become the key to the superpowers that you get as a yogi to attain samadhi, you are in a sattvic state, a harmonious state. Does that make sense? So in book three, we read about all these really cool superpowers that you get, but you have to be really harmonious. You have to be really integrated. You have to be really engaged. You have to be whole in order to get to that place. And then book four, which kind of makes everything a little bit more intense and heady because we talk about the idea of gunas, um, where it's really diving deep into the idea of dualism. Remember that book four is... The, it's called Kaivalya Pada, but it's really talking about freedom and liberation, the moksha, where you see yourself in itself. The chapter addresses the subject of Kaivalya, which is the highest form of samadhi or perfect emancipation. And Patanjali, or this collective group of individuals who wrote the four books of the 196 aphorisms of the um, Yoga Sutras, is really talking about the listing the ways in which siddhas or your superpowers can arise. So you're talking about merit from practice, it could be genetics, it could be because you're talented, it could be because you keep showing up, it could be because it's ingrained in you from a former life, if you believe in like the idea of karma and all of that stuff. It could be herbs, there's lots of people who do drugs, uh, especially when transcendental meditation was coming up um, there were a lot of people doing a lot of really interesting drugs to get into a higher state of conscious awareness. Um, mantra, where you like get a special mantra and you repeat it. Uh, tapas, where you're just working really hard and the discipline of working helps you to get to that state. And then ultimately get into samadhi. When gunas comes up in there, if you learn, turn to Appendix B and you look at the gunas, gunas, from a Vedic perspective, all of material nature, which is property, is thought to be made up of three primary qualities or gunas. These three gunas come, make up the essential aspects of all nature, energy, matter, and consciousness. This is a very Ayurvedic uh, philosophy. These qualities in nature or gunas are sattva, the power of harmony, balance, light, and intelligence, where higher spiritual potential arises, where you get your siddhas, your superpowers. And then there's the rajas, the power of energy or action, change and movement. And then tamas, the power of darkness, inertia, form, and materiality. So just like raga and dvesha, uh, rajas and tamas, it's the two sides of the coin and you're trying to find that sattvic state of being so that you can find ease and balance. Uh, which in turn, the state of self in and of itself or liberation is realized when the gunas, having provided for the experience and liberation of the purusha, are without any purpose to fulfill and disappear, literally disappear into their casual substance. In other words, it is absolute consciousness established in its own self. So the sutras in and of itself are teaching 
Why? They're teaching people literally the guidelines to get rid of pain and suffering, to find harmony and balance in their life, and to have better health. And they're timeless principles that are relatable in the universe and literally teaches you in order to find freedom or moksha, you have to create this habitual practice of yoga.